podcast of the cinema that is hosted by uh me my name is dave white i'm the best film critic in the world ever <laughs> alonzo Duralde. we're gonna you're, go with that okay. yeah you're sitting across the table from me you are also the best film critic in the world ever <laughs> sure we are married together which means that we are the two best <laughs> film critics in the world ever everything we eat is filled with microplastics therefore we are filled with microplastics <laughs> This is a podcast. Yes. Coming up on its <laughs> dozenth anniversary. Yep. yep. In November, we will have been doing this podcast week in, week out uh-huh. for 12 years. Yes. At this, well, you know what? Not at this dining room table. No. We had a squeaky We had an earlier that. one that squeaked. It was made of metal. And um, from the 1950s, yes. it was a little dinette. Then Four we, mica top. We upgraded to one that wasn't falling apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, 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 a remarkably sturdy, super long, double leaf Ikea table called yeah. the Bursta. <laughs> I remember that name. If you're looking for just, you know, the basics of the home, yeah. you're a table, a shelf, you know, that's, that's mm, where Ikea really shines. A table... Sometimes, like this one, has really served us well. Mm-hmm. And it, again, I say it's pretty sturdy. Yeah, uh, their rugs used to be good, not so much anymore. Right. Um, Nothing you sit on ever lasts from IKEA. No, 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 no. Never buy a chair or a, a couch. No. From them, I mean, unless that's like okay, I get it. If you are, uh, you know, on a super budget mm-hmm. and you just have to have something to sit on, sure. I'd say you're better off buying a piece of crap from Ikea that's going to die in three years than you are risking bed bugs from a garage sale. That is the problem with used furniture. The um, You don't know where it's been. You don't have to be a freak like I was when I got out of college and, and, and moved into my very first ever apartment by myself in Fort Worth, Texas on a public school teacher salary which you know that's how you know it was the early 90s mm-hmm. you could be a barely uh barely making a minimum wage as a public school teacher in fort worth texas and afford rent on a teeny tiny little 400 square foot one bedroom apartment at a apartment complex that was like a maze <laughs> to get in and out of and yeah but you know what i did when i moved in there i voluntarily ascetically like yes. a monk lived with nothing because in my head i had this idea i will save 10 to 15 dollars a month and then i will buy a vintage piece of mid-century modern furniture that sits and sits and sits at one of the Fort, Fort Worth antique malls that no one buying it. Because it still wasn't like... It, it had wasn't having its moment That yet. moment had not yet come back. Yeah. But I saw it, this old Eames chair. They wanted... <laughs> they wanted $150 for it. And I was like, how will I ever save $150? It took me... A year. That's how broke you are. And then I bought it. And it was my one chair. And I was so happy. Don't be like me. Just buy something from Ikea. It'll die in three years. But maybe in three years you'll have more money. And in that time you'll get to sit. I sat on the floor. Oh man. I had a mattress. A turntable, stacks of books on the floor, stacks of records on the floor, 
a set of pots and pans that I got with my mother's J.C. Penny credit card. <laughs> Our early apartments <laughs> were similar before we became a couple. It was very well, sparse. By the time I met you, I had furniture. Okay. I had like a, a little, a little I Love Lucy style love seat uh, yes. couch that that my friend Molly sold me, and I had, you know, a little dining room table, and I had, you know, a couple stupid folding chairs with the dining room table. Like I, I was getting there. Yes. Um, but yeah, we didn't really. It took, God. It took ten years, and then another few years of us living. Here, right, for us to begin slowly accumulating furniture that would last, mm-hmm. that we would never have to replace, and some of them needed to be replaced. Like say, that, never say never. That squeaky dinette table went to Gray. Yes, Gray who, Drake. Who fixed it up? Who's, all yeah, nice. She and her husband restored it perfectly. It apparently. squeaks and, no more. Uh, yeah, apparently. it's just gorgeous and you know clean and <laughs> <laughs> doesn't doesn't go every time you sit at it. What's this podcast about? Hey, movies. Movies. Oh, hey, in like 15 minutes, okay. I'm going to start my timer now. I need you to pause this recording because mm-hmm. I need to turn on the oven and put the dinner in. Okay. Yeah. It's midweek, Thursday, or whatever the hell day this is. It has it's all veg- kind of been a blur. Hasn't it's it? vegetarian casserole night, you guys. I'll tell you about it later. We saw some movies. We did. Uh, we saw The Good House. Yes. The Good House. Who directed The Good House? Uh, two people. Uh, one of them is Wally Waladarsky, uh-huh. who years ago was a Simpsons writer, and then he directed a movie that I loved in the 90s that I screened at the USA Film Festival in Dallas that has been mostly forgotten called Cold-Blooded. Maya Forbes is the co-director with Molly Wolodarski. Cold-Blooded, which starred um, Jason Priestley as an emotionless man who winds up becoming a very good hitman. Uh, Thomas Thomas Bazooka uh, co-wrote the script with yes. the, with Maya Forbes and Wally Wolodarski. Yes, so the three of them collaborated based on a novel by uh, Anne Leary, who is Dennis Leary's wife. What is the uh, lovely, warm-hearted, sweet, queer film written and directed by Thomas Bazooka in the early two thousands, Alonzo? That would be Big Eden. We adore that movie. We do. Yeah. Thomas Bazooka has had an interesting career. He did like that movie Monte Carlo with um, one of the Disney girls. I'm forgetting now which one. <laughs> Why did you forget? Uh, he did The Family Stone, which we do not like. Uh, At least I don't. I don't know about you. I mean, you know. Uh, Monte Carlo stars Selena Gomez. Don't at me. Okay. How could you forget Selena Gomez? Sorry, I because I just she's so good. Do. Yeah, Monte Carlo is maybe not her finest. We hour. enjoy her so much. We do. Uh, he and then he just recently did "Let Him Go," which I thought was pretty good. Which was that uh, Diane Lane, Kevin Costner. We're here oh, for yeah. our grandson movie. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That wasn't bad at all. Yeah, yeah. You like this more than I do. Yes, this film, "The Good House." The Good House. It's based on, as you said, the novel by Anne Leary. Mm-hmm. Why don't you talk about what it is? So uh, Sigourney Weaver stars as Hildy Good. She is a realtor in this sort of North Shore uh, area near Boston, kind of a bedroom community, you know, on, on right on the seaside. So you've got your like big schmancy houses and then also, you know, your, your working class folks that live there. Um, she obviously traffics in selling all the schmancy houses. Right, which means she has uh, stripped herself of her Massachusetts accent. Right. So she can sound like classy Sigourney Weaver. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, Hildy has had uh, issues with alcohol. Her family has sent her to rehab. And uh, now when she goes to functions, she's always drinking club soda. She's putting on a very good act of being no longer an alcoholic. But turns out Hildy is still very much an alcoholic as she is telling us without realizing she's telling us in her 
perpetual fourth wall breaking narration of the film. Right. She is a massive rationalization. She doesn't drink until five o'clock. It's only wine. I don't drink alone. My dogs are here. Right. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the fourth wall breaking thing, you know, they're, they're doing it now on She-Hulk. Um, it popped up a lot on uh, Fleabag. It's, it's been a thing that's been going on lately in the culture. Uh, Weaver's real good at it. And it works really well for this movie because you are sort of seduced by how funny she is and how on top of things she is until you realize what a completely unreliable narrator she is. Yes. You look like you were going to chime in on something. No, I'm, okay. letting, I'm letting you roll. Anyway, so as she is dealing with her... As you know, I don't interrupt you anymore. <laughs> yeah. For no good reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Uh, as she's dealing with her drinking issues, she rekindles a relationship with Kevin Klein, who she's known all her life and is sort of like the, the town handyman. Uh, there are other... He's like the major contractor in the town, and at one point he is described as the richest man in town. <laughs> Although he lives in a house where like the drywall is showing, so you know, right, he doesn't he doesn't have airs he, if he is indeed he's the dressed man, down very much so. Yeah, uh, there are other mini dramas involving uh, like the town therapist played by uh, Rob Delaney, Rob Delaney, who is having an affair he's a psychiatrist, with psychiatrist. In fact, who's afraid of losing his license because he's having an affair with a woman who became. His girlfriend, but started as his patient. Marina Baccarin, who is married to another man. Uh, this is a town of character actors. So it's like every time you turn a corner, it's, you know, um, Kelly O'Quan and Paul Guilfoyle and Beverly D'Angelo. And yeah. um, so I like that aspect of it. It's funny. I, I recently rewatched Nobody's Fool uh, for the Hollywoodography podcast because they're going through all the films of Paul Newman. And it kind of reminds me of that sort of film where you have this, you know, this town setting where everybody's sort of in each other's business and you have all these really, it's like, it it is a movie that offers a star turn at its center, but then also surrounds that star with these really great, this great ensemble of of character performers. Um, This is not as good as Nobody's Fool. I'm not going to go that hard on it, but I liked it more than you in that I, I was still interested in the movie even when... Sigourney Weaver wasn't front and center. I thought the way that the town kind of becomes this backdrop for everything, it has kind of a John Cheever-ish quality to it in terms of these sort of like New England class divisions and, and you know, just busy bodies and whatnot. Yeah. Um, there, it, it, it takes some swings towards the end that I don't think quite work, but they weren't so bad that they, like, took me out of it. Right. Um, I, you know... I, I think Sigourney Weaver has always been, you know, a great actress and, and, and capable of a lot of things. And I think this is a role that really gives her a lot of stuff because, like, it's funny, but it's also heartbreaking. And she is, you know, strong and in charge, but also completely falling apart. Uh, so there's a lot for her to play here. The stuff with Kevin Klein is very lovely and allows a, a romantic side to all of this. So, yeah, I think it's a movie we're seeing. I, I like it a lot. I agree with you to a point. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Sigourney Weaver carries the whole thing. There aren't enough of the cool character actors uh, to make really lasting impressions. They, 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 it's not enough was done with them. Okay. Kevin Klein, in his career, he's able to get real keyed up and arch and over the top, and then other times he's equally capable of going extremely low-key, which is what he's doing here. Mm-hmm. He's on the poster with her. <laughs> because you're thinking, Sigourney Weaver, Kevin Klein together again! It was like their third or fourth movie together. Yeah, they were in Dave yeah. in the Ice Storm. And... He's sort of in the movie. <laughs> He's very much a secondary character. Yeah. Um, I would have liked it if they could have figured out a way to have one sentence of dialogue in which he doesn't have to have a Massachusetts accent. <laughs> the way she, you know, by virtue of her need to, you know, impress rich jerks yes, from out of, town. Out of state. Um he has he's under no such pressure to impress people, so he 
he talks like my brother. Well, now let me say this differently. He talks like my brother. He thinks he's talking like my brother Mark. Mm-hmm. Okay. You from Gloucester? I don't know where he's supposed to be from. <laughs> that, this town. Okay, yeah. This uh, fictional you, town. I've said this before. You call my brother's house in Hyannis, and his wife answers and says, Mike, it's your brother. <laughs> Kevin Klein is trying to do this. Mm. Um, Should they have assigned him a Wahlberg as dialect coach? I, perhaps? Yeah. Yeah. It's weird hearing him speak in this film. And every time he does it, I go, oh, you're almost there. <laughs> Not being a native New Englander as yourself, I did not. Well, you know. These niceties escaped. I didn't try to eliminate myself. I didn't try to eliminate that accent in myself. It just naturally happened because I was whisked down to the south when I was a kid. Yes. Uh, But yeah, I have a brother who still lives up there and he, boy. (laughs) The Wahlbergs could learn how to speak this way from my brother. Gotcha, yes. Yeah. All right. Um, Next time you're making a film with New Englanders and you, you cast a, a non... Get my brother to be get your... Get Mark con- White in get, there. Get, get him to be a consultant. Yeah. Um, so anyway, <laughs> it, is, it is effective in its purpose as a film about an addict mm-hmm. in denial. And she handles it. She is the one that creates any sort of, you know, emotional resonance that takes place as the film sort of comes to its conclusion and amps up the drama. But that drama is amped up not so much because of what she does, but because of outside stuff. Mm. So I thought that was weird. And maybe that's how the book goes, too. I don't know. But perhaps the book is weaving together all these other characters in a way that it it's more organic makes the stuff that happens at the end of this film more seem less like it's coming out of nowhere yeah that i i, I would i take issue with that part of it as well uh when it's outside everything looks good at the beginning of the movie she says we've got the best views in new england or massachusetts or whatever and i'm like well that's true when this camera is pointing out outside things Go inside to the sets of the inside the homes, the offices. It is flat and ugly looking and weirdly lit. There are these scenes where people are in a room and there's this giant light source somehow in the room that's casting shadows with them. I'm like, did y'all not? What's happening? Why is this happening? This I did not notice, but then I I, I saw this movie like a year ago. No, when, well, it, when it premiered in Toronto. I saw it a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> and I'm still irritated. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, you will see this for its stars, who are fully enjoyable. Yes, and and they 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 give you what you want. I didn't I didn't feel much. Okay from it I believe there are films about alcoholism and the people who are you know sort of stuck in that in that illness that are more effective now correct me if I'm wrong but there's a Michael Keaton movie from the late 80s called Clean and Sober that I found very uh, moving at that time I've never seen it but for all I know, it too is overwrought or underwrought or whatever. Like I, I, I guarantee you, I was a little underdistanced from it back sure. then. Um, I mean, you know, obviously, I think for a lot of people, John Cassavetti is a woman under the influence. Is yes. probably you know one of yeah. the apex of this kind of thing. But I don't know. I, I just, I was really blown away by Sigourney Weaver, and like, I think it's easy to take her for granted. It is, and just this movie, you know. I, I, I hate this expression, but it is like so many colors in her paint box. Like she gets to do so many different. I hate that expression too. So many things that she does well that it's 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 impressive to watch. Don't say colors in paint box anymore. I I, I, I prefaced it. 
that's your get out of jail free card. Yeah. I'm fixing to say something corny and film critic ish. Yeah. Yeah. And then I said it. How do you feel about yourself now? You proud? I'm, I, 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 I sleep just fine. God's Creatures. Yes. God's Creatures is from Anna Rose Homer and Sayla Davis. Yes, who previously collaborated on The Fits. The Fits. A movie we liked very much. It stars Emily Watson, uh, Ashlyn Franchosi, and Paul Mescal. Paul Mescal is in a movie that's about to come out called... Is it another A24 movie that's fixing to come yeah, out? Yeah, After yeah. Sun, which yeah. I have not seen yet, but, like, the reviews have been rapturous. Okay. Like, I think it premiered at Cannes, and, I mean, like, literally Carlos Aguilar said, you will not be the same person after oh, seeing this Oh, all right, okay. Like, gauntlet thrown down. Okay. Like, all right, I gotta see this. Well, A24 is in the Paul Mescal business these Clearly. days. Clearly. Anybody ever heard of Paul Mescal? Well... You will now. Uh, if you watch that show, Normal People. He's an watch. Irish actor. He's yes. quite young. He's in his 20s. Uh, he plays Emily Watson's son yes. in the film. It's set in a small Irish fishing village. Emily Watson works in a fish processing plant. Paul Mescal plays her adult son. He's been living in Australia. He seemingly left kind of abruptly. And now he is home just as abruptly a few years later with no explanation. Yes. We don't know what he did when he was there. We don't know why he's back. You don't know why he left Ireland. You don't know why he stuck around in Australia for so long. You don't know why he just shows up unannounced again in Ireland. But he is there, he says, to rebuild the family's oyster farming business. Their grandfather, who is now... Very old and has dementia. It was his oyster farming uh, business. It's sort of been idle all this time. He shows up. He quickly resumes his sort of contentious relationship with his father, but uh, a very loving relationship with his mom. They've always been very close. Not long after he comes home, his former girlfriend, who is played by Ashlyn Franchosi, who was uh, in The Nightingale. Yes. She accuses him of rape. Emily Watson very reflexively lies to the police to give him an alibi. And even though she, he asks her for the alibi, and she knows she's lying about his whereabouts on the night, she holds in herself this full belief that he could not have done this. No. And the film even kind of holds back, I'd say until around midpoint. Like, even at the point where he says, can you, can you tell him I was with you? There are some complicating factors muddying the water. The girlfriend has an ex-boyfriend who is weird and stalkery and cruel. Yes. Um, and, and so there's this moment where you think, wait, did the son do this? Was it the ex-boyfriend? But eventually the film does eliminate all ambiguity about what's happening and who did what. And everyone's lives begin to slowly unravel. And that's as much detail as I'll give you because the second half details it unraveling and gives you the truth of yeah. what's going on. How do you feel about this one? Whew. Yeah, it's, 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 it, this is, y'all, this is heavy. This is a movie that starts with a drowning. Yeah. And, uh, do you ever see the sun in this film? I'm trying to remember. Like, Not it's, really. It is so, it is, it Irish is, fishing village. it is rainy, 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 rainy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a, it, it's. A, I find it fascinating that two American filmmakers made this movie because mm -hmm. it feels so specific about the detail of, like, you know, all these the people have to take these boats out to these oyster farms, which are basically these kind of like wooden racks that get set up in a place where when the tide comes in, they're completely submerged, but then yeah. at some point the tide goes out and they're completely exposed. Yeah. Um, 
and just but like but just just the minutia of like the pub and the you know all the the, the stuff in the fish processing plant it just it feels so lived in and so for outside observers to kind of come in and make this movie obviously i'm also an outside observer maybe they're getting it all wrong i don't know but it 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 plays do you think emily watson would have allowed them to get things i wrong? i <laughs> would think not i'm sure she worked in that plant for six months they, just to get it right they, they they could every move they made they looked at her and said is this is this all right ma'am uh, yeah, no. This is this is. A, I'm I'm being ridiculous. Go it, on. It's a challenging film, um, and it's a haunting film. But but uh, you know that that central trio of performances is so great. Yeah, and it is such a moody kind of film in terms of just like bringing you into this town and bringing you into this family dynamic specifically. Uh, where there's a lot of unspoken stuff that we kind of come to understand as we get to know these characters more. Yeah. Um, that yeah, I, I was I was riveted because it's a movie that it's not like it's not making you work hard for it, but it's not handing you a lot of things. You really have to sort of pick up on subtext and subtle. Yeah, sort of, of course. This is you know, this is a film that rewards you for paying attention and yes. not just waiting for things to be you know announced spooned to you and announced yeah Yeah. uh it's incredibly somber and emotionally brutal and it is i said this already on kcrw last week it it presents questions of the limits of unconditional love in a family yeah at what point do you say about the person in your family who you know did something terrible. When do you when do you cut them loose? You know, when do you let them fend for themselves? And with parents and children particularly, you know, there are lengths that they will sometimes go to to protect their own. Right. Always thinking this is the last time I'm going to have to do this. Things will be different. Things right. will be better. Right. And the longer the film goes on, you think why did you run away from Australia so fast? Why didn't why did you run to Australia why, in the first place? Yeah, what, what else have you done yeah. in life? Um, so then it also becomes a story about what happens when women speak up mm. in, a, in a small community. Right. Like, how will other people react? How will they be treated? Um, what will a, a, a mother do in order to stay sort of rigidly in the role she's been given to play in a community, in a family. It is sort of tangentially connected, I think, to the fits because it addresses how women in particular fit inside various social groups, social orders. Yeah. You know, how they will behave or not depending on what's going on around them. And, and um, I think power structures within communities of yeah, women. Yeah. You know, that factory, pretty much it's all women working there. Yeah. Uh, so this is a very tough movie, but yeah. it's also really worthwhile. Uh, I, I, If you can handle the subject matter and the fact that it is a stone-cold bummer, mm. um, it's on... It is it is in theaters and also on demand. It's, it's in art houses right now, but you can rent it. It's on demand. You yes. can stream it at home. Yes. Okay. And you can stream uh, the fits on Canopy if you get Canopy. Yes. And you should if if you missed the fits, uh, it's from a couple of years ago. Yeah. Like twenty eighteen something like that. Uh, definitely watch them. Because watch watch it because these these two women these two filmmakers are sort of very quietly making these meaningful films yeah. that uh, are so far flying very much under the radar. Mm. You know, people get real uh, excited about A24 releases. <laughs> and then sometimes an A24 movie comes out and you're like, wait, what? Where did that? I didn't know that even existed. And right. I think that's what's happening to this film in particular right now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's getting... It, it's. It's hard to say, but like, 
I, there's something about the fact that it, it's going into theaters and on demand immediately, which yeah. the other ones don't necessarily do that. I kind of feel like there's less of an A24 push on this one. Like well, they it like, seems like it. Yeah. Like they acquired it, and then they're like, we don't, we're not sure. And then they, you know, so but it's absolutely worth seeking out. You know, whoever is doing the curating at A24, generally speaking, I think has exquisite taste and. This is a movie that is hard to categorize and probably hard to market, but that doesn't mean right. it's not great. Right. God's Creatures. Yeah. That's the name. My alarm just went off. I caught it before it went. Bah, 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 bah. Okay. So you're going to turn off that that microphone, mm-hmm. that, that podcasting yes. device. What is it? It's your laptop. Uh, I'm going to heat up the oven. Yes. Put in the Put in the food. Mm-hmm. Then we will return yes. to talk about bros, 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 bros. Yes, we will. We'll be right back. Bros. Uh, There's a little game we're going to play. Yes. We're back from our self-imposed break so that I can turn on the oven, yes. heat it up, mm-hmm. put the food in. New recipe. Yeah. You ready? Can you handle it? I, we'll see when you serve it to me. Well, it's from our old pal Jake Kenji Lopez Alt, mm. who makes the, who provided us with the beautiful spinach lasagna recipe. Ah, uh, this is true. Yeah, this is uh, fennel, Swiss chard, cannellini, or Great Northern bean gratin. Mm. It's a casserole. Cook up the chopped up fennel, onion. Chard, garlic, pouring a bunch of cream. <laughs> <laughs> I'll eat most things gratin. <laughs> um, and if you want to know how this dish comes out, you'll have to subscribe to our Patreon. <laughs> Patreon.com slash linoleum knife, where we'll be discussing it on linoleum knife. And fork. I've been tasting it. I've been tasting it as it, uh, you know, cooks on, because you have to cook it on the stove in the, like a big, saucepan or mm-hmm. Dutch oven or whatever. And then you pour that into the casserole dish. Right. Cover it with grated cheese and mm-hmm. breadcrumbs. Now it's in the oven. I'm I've been mad. tasting it all along the way. You know, you got to season as you go. You sure, can't just put salt on something at the end. Um, it already tastes real good. All right. Then. So I'm not mad at it. You're going you're gonna to like this. Or else. I see. This relationship hinges on you telling me that what I cooked for dinner is delicious. And that because of it, you still have love for me. Because you, like the protagonist of Bros, are broken inside from a lifetime of homophobic expectations. Sure, I guess. Maybe. A little. All right. Um, if you've been paying attention to, uh, you know, people yelling at each other on the internet lately, they've been yelling at each other about bros. Yes. <laughs> its very existence and its lack of setting the world on fire in its opening weekend. That's, that is currently, for you and me, for mm-hmm. the purposes of our discussion, its box office performance is irrelevant. Oh, yeah, no, I didn't even okay. really want to get into it. All right. Uh, that's where the yelling really kicked that's in. That's where the yelling really kicked in. Um, talk about what it is. Okay. So this is uh, Billy Eichner, who you might know from the hilarious Billy on the Street shorts and show that he had on... Was, it was Hulu, right? Hulu? Well, the Billy on the Street became, was it was internet videos first, and then yes. it became a show on uh, 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 True TV. Yeah. Because that was the same where talk show the game show network where guy had talk show the game show. Yes, what a terrible network that is. Yeah. Anyway, Uh, difficult people not for having those shows, but for not keeping them longer. Yeah, I mean, good for them for putting them on, but then they just sort of like guys. Guys got canceled. I know because we need more time to run practical, impractical, impractical jokers. jokers. Very important show. Yikes. Anyway. Um, 
Uh, so and and Hulu is where difficult people difficult are people also Julie Klausner, a bizarre sitcom yeah, that we, we loved yes and continue okay so Billy Eichner plays Bobby who is a queer history podcaster he's also the executive director of New York's very first LGBTQ plus museum uh, he is forty he's never been in a relationship he has sort of resigned himself to not being in a relationship and just having like close friends and grinder hookups right um, one night at a party for an app he sees on a crowded dance floor a gorgeous lawyer named Aaron, uh, played by Luke McFarlane, um, even though Guy Branham's character tells uh, Bobby that Luke McFarlane's character, Aaron, is boring. Um, <laughs> they strike up a chat. Anyway, it turns out Aaron is... He's, he's a little boring. A little bit. He's kind of boring. But he is, right. he is smarter and funnier than he looks. And yes. Bobby is... Smitten. Which means he's a catch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if, you're, if you already are super hot uh-huh. in all the ways that people think of when they think of super hot, yeah. if you display the tiniest amount of personality, yeah. a drop of a suddenly <laughs> you just are like at the top of the pack. Anyway, go on. Anyway, they're clearly into each other, but they're also very both, you know, not relationship people. So they're constantly sort of like undermining whatever they might have going. But slowly but surely, it starts to build anyway. Yeah. Um, And it kind of things kind of reach ahead when uh, Aaron's family comes down for Christmas. Uh, He invites Bobby to spend the day with them and sort of show them around New York. And Bobby is... Bobby. And he is, you know, he is Billy Eichner. He's very outspoken, very outspoken, talking about queerness. And while Aaron is out, he's not comfortable with this stuff. He was like a high school jock. He clearly never wants to talk about it with his family. His family never really talks to each other about anything of emotional import anyway. Yeah. Um, So that kind of causes friction between them and they have to sort of figure out, you know, their stuff. Uh, there's an, there's an incredible monologue that Bobby has where he talks about how his original dream was to go into musical theater. And while he was getting his degree in his undergrad, uh, a professor told him that he basically was not butch enough right. to be like a leading man. That he's, His he, voice was too gay. His walk was too gay. Yeah, that it was going to, you know, undercut his, his it was going to limit his opportunities right. on Broadway. Yeah. Um, and Aaron has this job as a lawyer where he does people's wills and he hates it. Um, but what he really wants to do is to make little chocolates. Right. Uh, and something that was like a passion of his when he was young, but he thought he could never go into it because it was, quote unquote, too faggy. Right. Uh, so what's great about this movie is there's never a I mean, among the things that's great about this movie, there's never a scene where they are gay bashed physically or verbally. And obviously part of that is this is a movie about, you know, white upscale New Yorkers who live in a bubble of privilege and probably never take the subway. Uh, but what I like that the, the movie that never feels the need to have to throw that in, in the way that so many other movies do, because these guys carry it with them anyway. Like they grew up listening to this crap all the time, right. either getting bullied or living with the threat of getting bullied at school. And it, it, it is even, even parental disapproval exactly. would, would be enough. Yeah. Yeah. So all of that stuff, as the kids say, lives rent free in their heads. Yes. Uh, and so they don't need an external manifestation of that. They just lug it around themselves, you know, for, for, for all, all this time later. Um, but this movie is clearly like in love with the tropes of, Specifically, '90s romantic yes. comedies. Yes, the 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 specter of Meg Ryan <laughs> hangs yes. over this film in a way that's fun and charming, and and makes the fact that it is this you know queer love story like it it puts it in a package that we recognize and that we understand. Right, and at the same time, because of his podcast and the LGBTQ museum and all that stuff, it imbues the movie with. A sense of queer history, um, and again, and I, I think, like, like I said, the, the specific conversations they have about growing up gay and what that did to them in this in Western culture, basically, um, you know, make gives this a specificity about like what is the impediment to these two people who are clearly into each other not just getting into a relationship because. That is the thing about the romantic comedy; you do have to throw in that roadblock, and here the roadblock is them. 
and their stuff and their stuff that they have to figure out about themselves about each other um, which you know all of that stuff is great and it's very very funny this movie has a lot of funny lines in it this movie has a lot of funny people in it um, so it is a rom it is a com it is all the <laughs> things that you you bought your ticket for I also appreciated a thing that you know you've just said it is the story of two people who have a lot they are white they are cisgender men they are uh, educated they have careers that make them money they live in nice places they are openly gay without concern for what it means to them but they were kids once And lots of kids today, yesterday, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, grow up with that message. You are not okay. You are not enough. You are not deserving of anything that comes your way. And I like that the movie kind of stops cold (laughs) for a long time monologue about this very thing you know as he continues to talk you're thinking hey wait i thought this was a comedy like because it gets serious very quickly and stays that way for a while and then it's luke mcfarland's time to talk about the same stuff the rhythm of the movie really comes to a screeching halt for that to happen i didn't mind it yeah and it comes back from it and it because it bounces back from it um so yes i found it very funny and very sweet it is dirty in that judd apatow way yes that um if it were me i would have withheld even from the red band trailer just to trick straight people into going to see it <laughs> because in the red band trailer is is a is a sexual punchline that uh that I know countless straight guys saw that red band trailer and went, yeah, no, I'm not, not for me. Yeah. That's not for me. Because it was like a four-way yeah. in the trailer. And you're like, oh, yeah, we're going to talk about that and show it and everything in the red band trailer. If it were me, I'd have tricked them. <laughs> so- Get the money. Get the money. <laughs> Get the makeup by the ticket. Then... Throw the 4G in their face. So, Ha-ha, joke's on you. <laughs> so much culture, straight culture, queer culture, yeah. like movies, TV stuff. Yeah. Like any time they, they, they tiptoe away from straight up, like, you know, monogamy right. or, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. just like two people. Yeah, because like, go they, on. They, you know, they, there's, there's the judgment comes out or they don't go through with it or they realize this would be a bad idea. This movie is not... These guys are just going to do whatever kind of sex yeah. they want with as many people as they want. Exactly. In any, con- in any, const- in any context in, they want. In the circle of Bobby's friends, yeah. there is a monogamous couple that is, you know, working on, on working with a surrogate to become parents. Yeah. There is a couple that is now becoming a thruple. Right. And the movie is not... You know, judging them for that, it like they find the word "thruple" hilarious because people it goof, is. People goof on it, sort of, but then yeah, they're sort of like, but, "Yeah, well, here they are. They're, but, they're and, but, two but, guys, but, and they're dating another guy now." And, and, the, and they're polyamory, everybody. And they're included at the end of the movie alongside yep. everybody else. Yep. You know, there is a there are there are people who are determinedly you know like single and just sleeping with other people and enjoying that. There are all these different versions the, of the great guy Brano. The great guy. Brano. The great guy Brano. Oh, yes. We shouldn't even really be reviewing this movie. <laughs> because he's in it. Because, like, it is journalistically uh, suspect of us to tell you how great this movie is when a person we know and adore is not only a co-star, but a producer of the film. Let's just say that right now. Okay. Having if, said that, though, we didn't like it's a it, great just, movie that we... Yeah. We would just shut up. But yeah. we love it, and it yeah. just turns out that, yes, our friend is involved in it. <laughs> um... You know, you get all these different kinds of relationships, and and there's never a tisk tisk about it. Right. Even like this, I'm, I I cannot recall off the top of my head, which is not the same as saying they don't exist, because I'm sure they do. They do exist. We've seen decades of queer cinema. But, and I know where you're going with this. But but it is so rare to have a movie about 
a relationship, a, a central couple, where along the way they have sex with other people and the movie doesn't come crashing around them in right. judgment. Right. I, and I just think that's... Which is one of the themes of the film, that in, in many instances queer uh, relationships are still radically different often from... Yeah. Heterosexual like people meant well with the whole love is love is love thing, but they're saying no, <laughs> and it's they not. joke about that throughout this. Yeah, film. it's a yeah. it's a recurring thing. I also yeah. like the fact that in one of the more uh, athletic sex scenes, they score yes. it to a song you would hear in a Nora Ephron movie. Yes, <laughs> and in that very athletic sex scene, they are giving you a, 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 a double sided thing. It is played for comic effect so that straight people who have never watched ostentatiously masculine gay porn yes. won't know what they're parodying here. They'll but, be too busy just giggling out of, yeah. you know, But what's happening in this, in this <laughs> sequence is that Eichner and McFarlane are going through the motions of a very specific type of gay porn <laughs> where... Everyone in it is hyper aggressive and growling and like, like going, yeah, you're like, you're, 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 all that stuff. Um, you like that? You like that? <laughs> um, and the other layer of that scene is queer men very frequently learn how to have sex from watching gay porn. Yeah. Because it is not modeled in any other way and any other place. Straight people watch, you know, uh, uh, you know, network television, erotic thrillers, or whatever, and they see straight people having a sex scene, and they think that's normal or whatever. Um, and it is that is modeled for them, but that stuff is not modeled for queer people. Yeah. Um, this is also, as you said earlier, a film that very, very skillfully weaves queer history throughout its narrative. Our lovely friend Jenny Olson, filmmaker Jenny Olson, was a uh, historical consultant on the film. Nice. And so what you have here is a story of, of, of two guys who are commitment, you know, shy, but one of whom works for a queer museum. And... He's, through the process of the film, dealing with the narrative that revolves around the queer museum, they are saying, oh yeah, by the way, everyone, this was Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. Oh yeah, by the way, everyone, here were other people in queer history that you should know about. Did you know about, you know, Abraham Lincoln's love letters to Joshua Speed? Yeah, so to that end, the board of, 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 uh, of, the museum of the museum is uh, a cast of you know queer performers who represent a, a much broader spectrum of the queer identity than two straight cis straight two two cis white two gay cis men. white gay men and and Eichner is poking fun of of himself and his status yes. almost from the get go. In one of the very first scenes of the movie, he goes to a banquet where he's given an award as cis white gay man of the year. So it was inevitable that in the very narrow definition of first, yes, because yes, there have been queer romances on screen. Some of them have been released by uh, major studios, either you know. Uh, often through their their, their indie, indie division, shingles, like yeah. Focus Features is not the, uh, same, as uh, the same as Universal. It's it's Focus, which is a narrower focus. <laughs> uh, so like Brokeback Mountain, right, came out through that. And there have been queer romances going back through queer cinema history. You know, like uh, 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 Parting Glances, yeah. um, Go Fish, Go Fish, The Wedding Banquet, uh, Our Friend Jim Falls, Friend Trick, which. Bro's director Nicholas Stoller actually talked about being one of uh, a key influence for him yep. in doing the research for this. So within the narrow confines of what this film represents as a first, yeah, it was perhaps inevitable that Universal was going to give the green light 
to a film about white two cis white men. cis gay men under the banner of Judd Apatow. Yes. That was the way things were going to be. And unfortunately, that is the business of movies. They are incredibly timid yes. about where they're going to go, who they're going to allow. How pioneering they through want the to gate. be with this. So it exists as a business decision on, on one level. Sure. We've talked about how much we like this film yes. and how funny it is. But from Universal's perspective, this is a piece of content with their name on it. Yes. And so be, what makes this film significant under that, under that context is that, you know, it isn't the first of anything other than their this, first, a major studio's first their gamble, first gamble on, on something. Yeah. I mean, okay. even like, you know, Fox put out Love, Simon, technically not right. a rom-com. Right. You know. um, the studio, the corporation, yes. they care about selling products. Shineheart wigs. I've, I said this already on KCRW. If you heard it on there, forgive me for repeating myself, but they don't care about the liberation of queer people. No. They care less about our progress toward justice than their bottom line. But they did decide to say yes to this one. Yes. So, Billy Eichner and his producers, they took their good fortune. We got a green light. And instead of, and Guy said this on Twitter, instead of giving, instead of surrounding themselves with, instead of surrounding Billy Eichner with big comedy names, yes. because Billy Eichner is sort of a cult figure. Yeah. He's not a household name. Like the biggest thing he's ever been in was The Lion King, and he was a voice. Right. Uh, you know, so, Luke McFarlane is, if you've been watching Hallmark movies like me for the last decade, you know who he is. If you were right. a fan of Brothers, Brothers and, and Sisters, Sisters or of like a few select Canadian sci-fi shows, you know who he is. But neither of them are marquee names. And the traditional play would have been like, let's get Paul Rudd in here. Right. Yes. Yeah. And instead, and in fact, as, as Guy even says, like the traditional move would have been, let's get Chris Evans as the love interest and not Luke McFarlane. Right. But the decision was, no, 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 no. What if, for once, we gave a, we make a movie where all the characters are played by LGBTQ actors, including the straight people? Yes. You know, so that when we make a running gag about how straight actors like to play gay and then die in movies so they can win Oscars, right. it comes from a place of we're doing the exact opposite thing. Right. So they take their good fortune and they don't pull the ladder up behind them. Nope. The creative decision is employ a wider representation of LGBTQ plus people. That is not symbolic. That is for the for the for, for every human being on screen, whether you know who they are or not. Like, do you know who T.S. Madison is? I do. I do now. I've seen them in other films. I've seen them in other projects. Okay? It makes a material difference for that artist. It's not just like, oh, now I have something for my reel. It is a job. <laughs> giving queer performers, giving queer artists jobs is not insignificant. Putting a line on a resume that that this performer starred or appeared in a Judd Apatow-produced universal picture yeah. is no small thing. Right. Especially because... Because this is uh, from the Apatow factory and it's written by Eichner and Nicholas Stoller, everybody has funny stuff to say. Everybody gets at least one or two moments of like landing a zinger. Yeah. And that's a thing that gets you into other rooms of people that want you to land more zingers. There are, there are, these are small roles to be sure. Yes. Um, but I, I, I want people to understand that it's not just. You know, representation. Representation is not the same as justice. Money! <laughs> In a capitalist society. Is where you start with justice. Um, so, I, I'm really happy about that. Um, you said in your review that you wrote for The Wrap that you now want Greenlight, you now want Universal to Greenlight a film 
by Sidney Freeland. Yes. Now, Sidney Freeland is a uh, an indigenous trans filmmaker who made Drunk Town's Finest. Yes. Who Deidre and Lady Rob a Train. She has directed episodes of Reservation Dogs, a TV show that if you are not watching, oh man, it is get the fun. It. it is the funniest and the saddest sitcom on TV. Yes. Um. And now she's working on, uh, on a, Echo for Disney Plus, so which is a Marvel show, yeah. thing. For, yeah, okay. So like, Universal, where's her movie? Yeah, Pony Up for a movie from Sydney Freeland. Yeah, like, and 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 audiences who choose who queer queer audiences. I don't care about straight people or what they do. Queer <laughs> audiences, unless you're our listener and you're straight, and we love you very much. Yes. You're, if, if you listen to this show, if you're a member of our Patreon, you're automatically You're automatically an ally. queer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, just, we just decided yes. for you. Um, queer audiences who choose not to go see this film. Yes. That's fine. That's fine. If your reason is it still centers two cis white guys, that's fine. If you're not going to see this, then I have some other films to recommend to you. Starting with Sidney Freeland's Drunk Town's Finest. Finest. Or uh, uh, Mosquita Imari. Yeah. Or I Carry You With Me. Or Nas and Malik. Nas and Malik. And the films we just listed, not not all of them are from queer filmmakers, but they are queer stories, quite often starring queer actors. Go over to Netflix and watch, uh, you know, the incredible Lingua Franca. From Isabel Sandoval, Sandoval. another trans filmmaker. I'm not going to scold anybody here, but if you are folding your arms and saying, no, I won't, then I would like it if you put your time and your money and your energy into supporting the small films out there that Alonzo and I have been like championing on this very podcast <laughs> for 12 years. Go back and catch up on queer history with queer cinema history with some other stuff. Do it. This isn't the only movie in town. It is part of now, it is now part of the, again, long, rich, varied history of queer cinema. Yes. It is one movie. And it is full, fully enjoyable. A delightful one. Yeah. A hilarious one. A moving, sweet, lovely one. Can I please talk about the ending? <laughs> sure. I, I mean, you know, okay, wait. <laughs> let, let friend the neighbor Gary Cotty, who is seeing the movie this weekend, leave the room. Okay. And if you are... If, I, I don't know that you can spoil a rom-com, but if you don't want to know what happens at the end of Bros... I'll, I'll, I'll steal a line from Deck the Hallmark podcast. Guess what? It all works out. Oh, that's not theirs. That's my joke. Oh, that's yours? <laughs> yes. That When Gary would go well, over you, okay. for Sunday dinner and watch the first half of a Hallmark movie with me and go home, yeah. invariably on Monday morning he would text me and say, how did it end? And I would always respond, it all worked out, and they got together. But you say that on Deck the Hallmark when you were on as well. I Yes, but that's and still And they've started saying it, too. Oh, have they? Okay, yes. That I haven't noticed. <laughs> they got together, it all, it all worked out. It all works out, and they get together, you guys. But that's not the important thing. Also, Hallmark Christmas movies are a running joke in this movie, which just fills yeah. my heart with glee. But anyway, go on. The other important thing is the, also not the important thing, and it's that you hear Billy Eichner sing for the first time. Well, I didn't, well, he sings I, The Lion King. I, he, I didn't listen. Hakuna Matata. I don't. One of the classics. I don't think about Billy Eichner as a singer, and he does sing at the end of this movie. Yes. A song that is real corny. um, It's not a song that that you would want to hear out of context, but in context, context he sells it. Here's the best part. It ends with everybody in the movie, all the people that you've seen in the film, together, celebrating. Dancing. And I need to specially shout out to the music supervisor. (laughs) You did this sort of obliquely in your review. This is not a spoiler. It's a selling point. How about that? If you don't want to hear it, you could turn off your podcast right now. But again, 
There are no spoilers in rom-coms. No. In the early 90s, house diva Rosala had a monstrously huge hit called Everybody's Free to Feel Good. Yes. A few years ago, Kylie Minogue covered it in a kind of different way. For her Christmas For album. her Christmas album. I don't even know why she put it on a Christmas album other than it is a song for about... For me, it is, a, it is a song she about celebration. It, it is a song of celebration, and it is a song about everybody coming together. Yes. And everybody comes together at the end of this movie, and they dance to Kylie Minogue singing Everybody's Free to Feel Good. And my heart, which is very small and blackened place, <laughs> but which... In, inside that small blackened place, there contains a deep reservoir of love for Kylie Minogue and for everybody's free to feel good. It just, it, I felt so nice. Mm. And I was thinking, you know what? I don't even care if it works out for them and they stay together. Right now, I'm getting to hear Kylie Minogue sing everybody's free to feel good in a multiplex. And that... Uh, is mostly what I needed from bros, and it's what I got. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look. You... Oh, yeah. Another shout-out to the music supervisor who drops uh, 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 Kevin Aviance's uh, So Alive mm. uh, into the into the you know background music somewhere along the way as right. well. Because when I heard it, I was like, ah, a check for <laughs> Kevin Aviance. More justice! <laughs> You can have all kinds of reasons for not wanting to see this movie, yeah. but they should not be that it's not funny and it's, or it's not romantic because it is totally those things. I've seen it twice. I'm seeing it again this weekend. Yeah. It is a joyous experience, and particularly it is a joyous, joyous experience with an audience. Um, you know, if you are feeling like you can go into theaters and, and you want to see it with other people, I recommend it. It will inevitably be on Peacock before the end of the year yeah uh, but if you can you'll like it. have that shared experience yeah. you won't regret it do we have time for letters how long have we been going but I just we're, took the dinner out of the we're oven we're at just over an hour alright let's pop through these letters and then pop through dinner and then let's eat some food because okay. it's really very important to me <laughs> JD wants to talk about Moon Age Daydream mm. he says it feels like an audio commentary track for a musical career. I found this to be a feature and not a bug. <laughs> yeah, again, you, you really have to be ready for a lot of interviews with David Bowie, but if you're here for that, then that's what you're going to get. Larry says, I saw an interview with Andrew Dominic. Okay. <laughs> Where he was asked about the movie and he said it was to make us think about, quote, the meaning of Marilyn Monroe. The movie being blonde. The movie being blonde. How should we feel about her? What does she represent? And why is she the goddess of love for the 20th century? And he mentions that it is all seen, quote, through the lens of Norma Jean's drama, her trauma, and that the construct of Marilyn is the armor and the prison. I've got to be honest, it all sounds vague and somewhat removed. Yet from what you guys say, Ana de Armas gives a completely heartbreaking, immersive performance. Weirdly, I'm not sure that's what Dominic was actually going for, yeah. that very damaged soul. It sounded like he was stepping back to observe the phenomenon that is Marilyn and the contradictions. From the way you guys describe the movie, it almost feels like he and de Armas were making two different films. Like he was thinking about some conceptual thing and Ana de Armas was deeply focused on the character. Maybe he wasn't successful in accomplishing what he set out to do in the beginning. I will still probably watch it when it gets to Netflix. But honestly, since the pandemic, I've generally steered away from the feel-bad movie. Mm. They never used to get under my skin so much, but now they do. Thank you, fellas. I get hey, it. Let me tell there you, you that's why these days when I'm telling you all about a, a movie that is real tough and hard and has difficult subject matter and people are unhappy like God's creatures. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's a good movie, I'll say it's a good movie, but, you know, know yourself yes. before you watch this sort of thing because it might just hurt too much. The, you know, the, 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 the past few years have been very difficult. Yes. And if you only want to watch, you know, the fluffiest of fluffs, you more power to you. You are allowed. Yes. Yeah. 
Uh, the more Andrew Dominic talks, the worse it becomes. Well, he just keeps digging himself this bizarre hole yeah. where he thinks he's talking about one thing, and then he presents this movie where it's just yeah. agony. Paul Schrader had an interesting take where he basically said, "Yeah, I admire the craft here. Yes, why is this movie about Marilyn Monroe?" Yeah. Like, basically, like if they had fictionalized it and he had done all the things that he did in a storytelling way and not heaped it onto a real person whose life, you know, we have some idea about, yeah. that it would have been a much better experience. And I don't think he's wrong. Yeah. We have a Patreon. Here's what you do. You go to patreon.com slash linoleum knife. There are a variety of subscription levels from $1 to 20 there are at each level. There's a different kind of content that you get. Mm-hmm. We've explained what those things are before on some other podcast. In the future, we'll go into more detail about what they are. But I'm very Dave's hungry. got dinner on his mind. Very hungry right now. It's all spelled um, out at Patreon.com. My favorite thing about the beginning of the month. This is October sixth. Yes, is mm-hmm. watching the Patreon numbers like take a dive, because everyone gets their char their cards are charged at yes. the beginning of the month, and. And people whose cards uh, uh, expired or whatever <laughs> happened, you know, with enough subscribers, there's always going to be like two dozen people who just poof, they vanish into thin air. And I'm always like, okay, today we have 400 and this many people, and now we have two dozen fewer. And I just think always it, it slowly inches its way back up again as people realize, yeah, so they- hey, have they done a podcast <laughs> in a few weeks? Oh, they did. It's just that, yeah, that's what happens. It's, it's like, it's like something to set my watch by if I, <laughs> if I wore a watch. Anyway, uh, patreon.com slash linoleum knife. This podcast is over. It's time for eating. Uh, uh, okay. Let me do my, the, the gratin. Okay, calm down. What do you got to say? Several things. Something. First of all, check out the other podcasts that I'm on. Uh, Maximum sure. Film on the Maximum Fun Network, Breakfast All Day with Chrissy Lemire. You can catch us as a podcast or on YouTube. Uh, and of course, Deck the Hallmark. I'm popping in once a week and I will be joining them for their annual marathon to kick off uh, the Hallmark Countdown to Christmas on Saturday, uh, October 22nd. Don't, check you, out. don't you bring me home another COVID. Check out their YouTube Don't you bring me home that. another COVID. I will do my best. The, um, the, there'll be heck to pay. Fair enough. Uh, also, uh, if you get Shudder, you can check me out on a new uh, documentary series that just launched called Queer for Fear. New episodes drop every oh, Friday. Oh, yeah. There's somebody on that about show. the history of queer cinema. Who's that's, on it? That's been a fun thing to do. Me. Alonzo's I said. on it. Um, Thank you, Blue, for our wonderful theme music. Go ca- catch up with all of his great stuff at blueBLEU.bandcamp.com. Uh, drop us a line at linoleumpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts. We'll read it on the air. You can also leave positive feedback in the many places that we stream, including Spotify and Stitcher Radio and Amazon Music and, uh, you know, all the places, all the things. Anyway, Dave's very hungry. We have to go. We'll to be, be fair, what? you did get your new COVID bivalent booster today. I did. So you're probably not going to bring me home another COVID. I'm thinking not. I give you permission to make out with everybody on the plane. <laughs> I know it's what you dream I, I know need, it's what you I dream of. I need your permission. <laughs> Until next time. Goodbye.